This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Matt C. DeBaca, Managing Director at Renaissance Leadership. Matt has more than 15 years of experience in talent acquisition and executive recruiting. On this episode, he shares what skills CMOs need to thrive and find success, what other executives say behind marketers' backs, and more. Thanks for listening. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at The Mission. To my right, stage right, stage left. I say that wrong every time. Lauren Vaccarello, what's going on? Not much. I'm super excited for today's episode. I am too. This is going to be a fun one. We're really excited to have special guest, Matt Cedabaka. Hey, great to be here. Uh, thank you guys for having me and uh, let's just hope it gets weird. Yeah, it will. That's it for will. sure. We decided that we wanted an anthropologist on the podcast because we needed to learn about that for marketing. And uh, here you are. Well, so for all those anthropology majors out there listening, this is the culmination of four years of hard, diligent work all coming to fruition on one afternoon. And it's it's really, really exciting to know that all the anthropology majors out there too can find gainful employment. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So you go by Mateo or Matt? Uh, so it's a bit of a controversy right now. So family nickname, Mateo. And so for the last decade plus, uh, I've been known personally and professionally as Mateo. Birth name, Matthew. And over the uh, holiday break, my daughter uh, was getting very casual. I've got a four-year-old little girl. And mm-hmm. so she was calling me by f- my first name. Oh, And so, uh, Mateo, can you give me some crayons? Mateo, can you give me a coloring book? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. So mom was not having that. So she said, you know, your father's name's Matthew. And also you need to call him dad. <laughs> and so lo and behold, a week-long effort, she wanted me to go back to, to Matthew um, or to Matt. So I just recently had changed it and, you know, Shakespeare, I guess, said what's in a name, but quite a bit, actually. It's been, uh, you know, I've been getting a lot of over the last couple of weeks, Mateo, Matt, have we been calling you the wrong name the whole time? So I, I immediately went, I knew your name, but have I been calling you by the wrong name for years? It's funny. I get teased by my high school buddies because in one context and capacity, like I did 18 or 19 years as Matt. And then showed up one day as the artist formerly known as Matt. And then oh, it was yeah. Mateo. And, you know, I was just a, a different season in life. And so, you know, now it's kind of the confluence of, of both of those things. When two worlds collide. What is that Seinfeld episode? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was just trying to help with SEO purposes. So that's what <laughs> I mean. We, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do both. We'll headline jam the episode so you get both spellings. Oh, man. And, and I think the, the moral of the story is the power of the four-year-old. There you go. Power of the four-year-old. Uh, and she is powerful, to be sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of four-year-olds, let's talk about uh, my leadership style. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, let's get into the meat of our content today. So you are the managing director at Renaissance Leadership, and it's a boutique executive search firm. 
So tell us about what you're what you're currently working on, what's the scope of your responsibilities there? Why is this impactful for CMOs, marketing leaders? Uh, so look, I'd qualify to say 15 years in talent acquisition and executive recruiting. When I first got into the industry, I right out of the gate found a vocation. So less career and more just a calling. Particularly given my time as an anthropologist, I was always fascinated by social systems uh, and the convergence of social systems into marketplaces and companies. And so in a roundabout way, I actually did get to apply my my degree. I was sitting with a marketing leader today, actually, who was talking about how it was novel that she went to a technical school, Cal Poly, actually. Yeah. And she was a marketing major and is now a marketer. And she said, how rare is it that you actually use your university degree? So right. uh, I suppose I'm one of those anomalies as well. Uh, I get to use my degree in a very targeted sense to help executive leaders and companies. But fast forward, when I first got into industry, I suspected that companies could be more thoughtful about how they engaged talent and what that conversation was about. And in that sense, it almost lent itself more towards corporate development, given that you were talking to very senior executives, board members, and on the front line of innovation, product roadmap. And so there was a much richer conversation that I believe could be had around how do companies think about and engage talent. And then as the market has become more transient, more companies being built, the rise of entrepreneurship, uh, how could an organization be more thoughtful about how they support leaders? So uh, today we run a go-to-market focused firm across sales, marketing, and customer success for a broad remit of organizations. 10 guys in a garage and a series A round all the way through pre and post IPO, $250 million organizations. Um, And so in that sense, it's a, pleasure or a joy to go to work every day because we get to see such a broad sample set of different opportunities, different evolutions of career iteration, company maturation, and all myriad problems around development, organizational change, culture creation. And so coming to Renaissance Leadership was a bit of a homecoming that I had designed much earlier in my career that I had manifested to say, there's got to be an organization doing this different And when I first met my now business partner, Ben Anderson, uh, who's the CEO, it was a match made in heaven, star-crossed lovers. We just, (laughs) we were speaking the same leadership language. And I remember when I got that first phone call from a colleague at HP at the time, this very jolly and surly British fellow called me and said, mate, I just talked to such a lovely man. (laughs) And if I had closed my eyes and he'd had a American accent instead of a Kiwi accent, Oh, he was speaking your language and you go to talk to him. And so, <laughs> and I apologize, I'm now offending and my inbox is going to be flooded with folks who uh, did not like my <laughs> an English accent, but I apologize. No, um, I went and I met Ben and the rest is history. He was speaking a language of high performance team integration development and growth, things that I believe in the Valley and in technology, we tend to take for granted Mm -hmm. or believe that everybody thinks about and prioritizes these things. Totally. But then the reality is, as you get into the company and the KPIs or the pressures to perform are such that not enough time is spent about mentorship, development, growth mindset. Totally. Certainly not in the Valley. And if it's a struggle in the Valley, which tends to be a more progressive marketplace, I can't even imagine what's happening in middle America or other markets across the globe. And it's something that needs to change. Um, And I think we have an opportunity now through our platform, bringing that full circle, where we can evolve the conversation where there's the criticality of hiring 
an executive leader, a VP of marketing, a chief marketing officer. And that's mission one. Mission two would be how do we bring that leadership team into a more integrated partnership that is more team enabled? Each player knows their role. Each player risks vulnerability. And we talk a lot about, and I know there's going to be listeners that are going to roll their eyes uh, in traffic as they're hearing this, but we talk a lot about corporate intimacy. So too quickly in life and too quickly in venture, I think we move to a performance conversation. And so I'm only as good as my last search or my last placement or how fast can I make that placement. But I think more needs to be talked about in terms of purpose. Why is it, Lauren, that you're so passionate as a marketing leader? What is that texture? And how does that translate into the leadership team or into the boardroom so that they can support you and connect you to that? And so that then you feel like you'll run through walls or do whatever you need to do in order to go achieve those performance goals. But you can't go from you know, a 30-day interview process, 45-day interview process that you're in that honeymoon phase and then suddenly flip the switch and say, go make my company a category creating brand. Go make my company the biggest demand engine that the market has ever seen. That's just not reality. So how can we inform a more thoughtful uh, conversation around that? Yeah, I mean, and so in a previous life, I was working um, with talent acquisition leaders. And one of the things that was so interesting was we were implementing all of these systems or people were impl implementing all these systems and tracking where the hires were coming from and all of this stuff. But nobody was tracking like, hey, this recruiter had a talent pipeline that was, you know, X. And five years later, 80% of their hires still work here or whatever it is, right? So and like they're, they're high performers. Yeah, and they're high performers. Like, or what was the promotion rate of this mm -hmm. thing? Because I, so I worked with, on military veteran efforts and because I'm a vet and all this sort of stuff, like our hypothesis was like, hey, it would be great if we could tell that an entry-level military veteran got promoted to be VP faster. Like that would be a really fascinating thing. And it was kind of just this like cricket sort of sound. It's like, how on earth would we figure that out? And then more importantly, like, how do you track this stuff? So we, we did a bunch of really interesting things around. Um, I did like an, a, an analysis of like uh, 4,500 companies that had veteran hiring programs and like how their stock performed over time and all this sort of stuff, which is like, you know, not directly related. But anywho, the reason why I say all that sort of stuff is like in a role like a CMO, which is so binary. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you track success? And like, how do you ultimately measure all of this stuff? It is. And one of the the things I love about, I'm going to call you Mateo because Please do. Uh, your daughter has not yelled at me for this yet. <laughs> I'll call you dad. <laughs> <laughs> and is the, that this isn't a transactional approach. This is how do we understand to your point, the executives, their talents, what they're looking to do. How do we work on developing them and the leadership team so the businesses ultimately become more successful? And we had we had spoken with Corinne from IBM who has been CMO at Blue Wolf for, I don't know. Like 12 years. 12 years, yeah. which is the probably 0.04 percentile in marketing tenure. And we asked her a lot on how have you how have you survived this long? And part of it was a, a different way of basically saying what you said around corporate intimacy, the relationship the executive team has with each other, the level of support they have for each other, the level of support the CEO has for her and respect for her work that they are able to as a leadership team, 
grow and develop together with this deep degree of trust. And Blue Wolf, during her tenure there, has gone from $3 million to a billion dollars. It's incredible. So when you're talking to a company who's looking for a CMO, what are the things that like they're telling you they want? What are you telling them that they should be looking for? And ultimately, like, what type of stuff are you looking for? This is multi- multi-pronged. It's the old Ian Faison Ask Five Questions one. <laughs> um, uh, and look, I can't take complete credit for the process. I think we've iterated and refined that. And it's the culmination of a lot of different thought leaders. You know, suffice to say, one of the earlier mentors as my business partner came to Silicon Valley uh, was Tom Kelly and David Kelly of now famous, you know, IDEO and the design school at Stanford. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as they were applying, you know, what then at the time was quite revolutionary design thinking to product innovation and creativity, you know, and one of the things that they're famous for promoting is that the most unmined resource inside of organizations at the end of the day is people. Mm-hmm. You know, Ben and now, you know, myself and our team have really taken that on to say, well, how do we go unlock that potential? And so it's not about a prescriptive, hey, let me tell you what you need. And not because they haven't done their best effort or or attempted to get in tune with their organization. I think sometimes a board or a leadership team will come forward and say, hey, we believe we need this. What are you seeing in support of that? And how do you evaluate our version of marketing leader or CMO relative to our size and stage. And when that conversation happens, usually that's an ideal qualifier for us because they're already ready to iterate and trust that they're bringing a subject matter expert to the conversation. Sometimes we'll engage in a more prescriptive dialogue that is based on, you know, a blog post or uh, an industry article or a trend in marketing at the time. And not to say it's as cavalier as that. I think leaders are incredibly passionate, founders in particular, about getting things right. But I think the challenging aspect, if you think about an organization of varying size or scale today coming out of the Bay, you know, it'd be interesting to understand what percentage of those companies are founder-led. And if they are founder-led, are they a multiple founder Mm -hmm. where they have been inside of several organizations? And so what I'm fundamentally vectoring toward is what is the maturity level of that organization just based on industry experience and development themselves? And how can we begin to understand their particular strengths, weaknesses, abilities And then through that, begin to understand, okay, you've got a good baseline or a theme, a sketch of what a marketing leader might look like. And then how can we iterate with you through almost a a blog-like inquiry, just a discussion over a series of meetings or design sessions to go at the problem or to go at the, the challenge or opportunity to say, tell us about your organization, what's happening across the different functions, what's happening through the lens of marketing And where do we need to go as a response for that? Is the need to go hire a demand leader right now an acute reaction to the fact that you need sales leads and something isn't happening in terms of communication between sales and marketing? And if so, is that more of a symptom of something? Mm -hmm. And so how might we advise and say, you know what, actually, you don't need a CMO per se. You just need a talented director of demand or VP of demand. But actually, how do you think about the company you want to be in two or three or four years? Yeah, I mean, that's the- And go to that place. That's what, I mean, that's exactly what I was going to ask. I mean, we we talked about this with Corinne 
and kind of Lauren's philosophy that like, you know, you need a different marketing leader for these different stages, but also the acknowledgement that like, maybe the reason why we have a 22 month, you know, CMO life cycle in technology companies is because we're constantly hiring for, we're hiring uh, Mrs. Right now instead of Mrs. Right. And like, I think that that's like a huge thing is like, it seems to me, my contention would be that an executive team doesn't actually know, they're just diagnosing a, a symptom of a problem that they have and saying like, I need to hire the doctor that can treat this one symptom rather than like kind of get healthy in, in, in the first place. Sure. And I empathize with that problem just to be sure, which is to say, if it's the difference between achieving certain KPIs, because these are for-profit businesses, so there are stakeholders, there's uh, financial responsibilities. And in that sense, if you can bring somebody on who's going to take the ball incrementally down the field and therefore preserve the life of the company, their ability to receive future rounds of funding and ultimately create more opportunities, on some level, that's almost, you know, I guess how I justify it. It's like Shumturian philosophy, creative destruction, where it's almost the sacrificial leader through mm -hmm. the first three or four or five years of a company while they're establishing product market fit that you may bring on a leader and they may have a 24 month tenure and then you end up having to up level. And that could mean two things. That could mean you up level and you get a, a bigger leader who could mentor that leader in areas that they need to grow. I think popular opinion would say that doesn't work because that person gets embedded in the organization and then ego starts to pull at you to say, well, wait a minute, I can I can stretch, I can, I can I, keep I going. That, yeah. yeah, I can do that. What I have seen and experienced and just, I don't wanna betray confidentiality, but organizations that have done this beautifully as a part of the hiring process, there's a founder CEO that I've worked with who when he hires, particularly as there's still a, a maturing business, sub 10 million and still working out the kinks of product market fit, customer segmentation, et cetera. As he's hiring go-to-market leaders, he says, listen, Lauren, it's wonderful to get to know you through this process and I'm excited, we're excited about you, we wanna hire you. Before we go forward, I just, I want us to acknowledge a reality. You may do your job so well that we're gonna become a much bigger organization. And in 24 months or in 12 months, in 36 months, at some point in the future, you may no longer be the leader that can take this function or take this business where it needs to go. And I am gonna do my best as I'm learning and growing and developing, I'm gonna do my best to make sure that we're communicating. And if I see that day approaching, I'll give you, you know, to the best of my ability, a heads up, but that's inherent in what you're trying to do or what we're trying to do. And I have to respect the the candor and the transparency in that because especially if this this is your first time as a marketer running the show, you probably don't know that. And you don't know that, hey, I was a senior manager, a director at my last job, and I get this head of marketing role, and you're so excited, no one's probably told you that you were the absolute right person and you're exceptional. But at some point, the business might not outgrow you. And what you want, if that happens to you, is the kind of CEO like that who will do the right thing, do his or her best to take care of you, try to find you a new role if that makes sense. 
but be the the reference and the support for you because with the rare exception of a, a marketing leader who can not only stretch themselves through every stage, also want to do that, to have that mentorship and opportunity and transparency up front to say, we love you. If this doesn't work out, it's not about you. I will always be your biggest fan, but we might get to a place where we outgrow you or you outgrow us. But I, I, it's I also just, marketing I, is a cutthroat job. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, I mean, <laughs> that's I get that. no, totally. And I, and I get that. I just like the other part of that conversation is like the underlying assumption that that person can't grow their skill set into like, this is what's so funny to me. Is like every single person is on an like unrelenting path to promote themselves into ignorance, right? Or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is, right? Whatever that expression is. So you know who else is doing that? The founders, because they don't know what the hell they're doing either. And that's what's so interesting. I mean, like as a founder, right? Like at, it's one of these situations where it's like, and even if you're a multi-time founder, you've never built that company before. Mm-hmm. So you have this situation. What's so funny to me is like, I understand that level of candor and saying, there might be a road where that happens. I would say, I mean, shouldn't it be more of a cautionary tale to say, hey, there's a branch of this road that you might go down where it's like, you don't level your skills up, but there should other be the other branch, which is like, here's the skill set where we will be in 24 months is is at you know this level. We're gonna go raise, you know, Series C, we're gonna raise a hundred million dollars or whatever, wherever it is. And it's like, we're gonna need to move from, you know, go to market to, but, but like, right? There, there is, and this is why and where I, I am the sort of <laughs> jaded marketing leader of, yes, we want everyone's skill set to be leveled up, but you may reach a point where you hire a great demand gen leader and that's just not what you need anymore. And I, marketing leadership is a hard, thankless job because if you do your job exceptionally well, Either everyone thinks it's easy or you've done such a good job growing the company, you may accelerate the growth of the company faster than yourself, which is unfortunate and really hard. But if you want to be a marketing leader, I don't know, it's par for the course of knowing I'm a fan, I'm a proponent of going eyes wide open. This we all want this to work. You want to grow as fast or faster than the company. We want to be there forever. But I don't know. There's a reason marketing leaders last 22 months. I have lasted four years in some roles, three and a half years in others, because I'm a glutton for punishment. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also exceptionally good at what I do, but a, a glutton for punishment. And I just there is that piece of this is this is sort of what it is. I think you've done a, a good job, if I could be so bold, or a great job, rather, if I'd add some texture to that, would be, whereas some people see binary, like I'm this or I'm that, mm-hmm. you've done a better job, and maybe that's just fundamentally how you do relationships and people, mm-hmm. but within the marketing context, as more and more responsibilities have fallen underneath the marketing umbrella, mm-hmm. I think you've done a great job, and maybe that's partial to maybe box at the time you were there and some uniqueness of market timing. But at the end of the day, like if there was something that needed to be done or uh, you know, a role to play, you were gonna jump in, all bets were off, like I'm gonna go take that on. Absolutely. And that has contributed to, I think a much broader 
sense of leadership, comfort in your skin, authenticity as a person, not less, not least of all a marketing leader. And I think the, you know, I'm thinking of the listener right now who's grown up a demand track and who's, yeah. you know, deep into the analytics and Silicon Valley has yeah. gone after the data yes. and we yeah, want yeah. the data and we want the metrics. And so that person's like, yeah, I mean, I'm in the right valley at the right time. Yeah, I'm getting yeah. five opportunities yep, I'm top this of my game. hour. And then there's somebody who's, you know, in traffic or on their commute listening and being like, well, I like the brand side. And, you know, the brand side has digitized and there are, you know, technologies and, and channels that I can go advocate for. But I'm, I'm more creative. I like the storytelling. Mm -hmm. I like the artistic side of that. And as long as we talk in like artist or Picasso versus Einstein terms about this function, I think, you know, I, the Valley doesn't favor generalists life in general. I think industry as you climb the ladder doesn't necessarily lend well to generalists. But if you think about the legacies of industries of yesterday or companies mm -hmm. of yesterday, now, granted, the speed of innovation has accelerated exponentially. But if you even think from a technology perspective and you know, I was referring to companies like Procter & Gamble in their heyday or a General yes. Electric or some of these businesses that invested in people, yeah. not in products or invested in products as much as they invested in people, gave them rotational opportunities, yep. said, we're not going to promote you until you try on this and try on that. Yep. And then we'll let you kind of pick and choose. If you look at technology and the companies that have done really well, there are companies that did the best that they could to recreate that. LinkedIn, Google, Salesforce, Salesforce. Uh, and these are the behemoths in the industry. Sure. And it will, and I think a lot of that comes from this idea of having broader, having broader business contacts. And something that we had spoken about in a, a previous episode was this idea of fear. And so many marketers go in because you're in there, you know that, hey, you're ahead of marketing, the clock is ticking on your, what are you going to do where it suddenly is just not a tenable experience? And then marketers switch at a certain point from driving innovation to, I am fundamentally afraid to keep this job. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to fail. My team doesn't want to fail. I'm just going to crank a bunch of stuff out so it looks like we're busy. And then you're not going to go try a different role. You're not going to do something that's outside of your comfort zone because this sense of fear is instilled in a lot of marketing leaders because either you don't have the corporate intimacy. I'm going to steal that, by the way. Yeah, that's great. And Please do. you don't have this where there's this level of trust and respect across the entire leadership team. And to your point, I think that makes marketers less strong over time and what I have seen at Salesforce, Google, LinkedIn are these executives who've tried very different roles and then come back with this greater amount of success doing something they might not have known was possible. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that, my question would be, so if you're that person, if you're the, you know, whatever, if you're the VP that is really good in one functional area of marketing, then who is the person and you're at that you know stage startup or that stage company where this has been you know your job for the last 24 months who's the person that gets hired over you what is that person's skill set are they someone who's been a cmo before is this someone who has done a few different vp jobs because i think that that's i, I mean i kind of look at this stuff like you know if if your people are fans of uh 
pro football or pro basketball where it's like you have these retread coaches that continue to get coaching jobs. It's like, well, at least they've done it before, right? And you have to weigh those things versus like, hey, this isn't, you know, the Sean McVay's, I'm probably losing majority of the audience here, but, uh, you know, (laughs) up and coming young coach, you know, the dude's going to the Super Bowl and he's 32 years old because he's a brilliant like tactician and brilliant mind. And what he did was he brought in, you know, his defensive coordinator was, you know, Wade Phillips, who's been around for like 60 years coaching football, right? So my question to you would be is, who is that person who is going to get hired over you? What skill sets do they have? And why are they positioned to win that job better than you? And then on that same side of the coin, who is the people that they're tapping to run those functions, right? Because I think that that's the other piece of this is like, we always know that like the network, you know, your network is your net worth sort of thing. But that's one of the things that I've I've seen where people come in with, hey, this is my squad. Like, I know that these are the people that are going to be able to run these different functions. And I know that that to an executive team is like, oh, they have a system in place. Sure. And I qualify. There's no one size fits all here, right? Um, so no I'm qualifiers. Talking- <laughs> this is absolute. What you say here goes down uh, in posterity. The, from what I see in companies, big and small, and I'll start there. On the smaller side, I think sometimes it's a necessity. You've got to be more prescriptive. And so it is tempering you know, how long-term thinking can you be if your yeah. company's not going to be around Great in point. the future? And so depending on how acute the pain is, I can probably convince most founder CEOs and Series A, B companies that they'd love to hire that Series C or Series D level leader. Mm-hmm. But, you know, two challenges there. One, would they be able to attract that leader? Or two, would the problem set be the right set for that individual relative to what they'd pay to hire them. So how do you solve for this? How do we solve for it as a community to avoid those kind of 22 month cycles and get more longevity in the function? I do think, look, on a long enough timeline, we've got to give people the space to screw up, Mm -hmm. to make mistakes. Where would rock and roll be? Where would the NFL be if Mm -hmm. we didn't give coaches opportunities to make mistakes. And so in that sense, I think that some of the conservatism in just kind of, or fear is the word that Lauren had used, that fear and anxiety to say, man, I got to this level inside of an organization and now I'm so uptight that if I screw anything up, I'm going to be seen as a fraud or they're going to up-level me. Mm-hmm. That is the toxicity totally. uh, and internal dialogue that just kills an organization or kills a career, Absolutely. but then can become systemic quite quickly and kill an entire organization. But th- that's, I mean, that's where I, I look at that. It's just like, it's so, and I appreciate, as Lauren said, the the candid nature of the conversation of the founder that you're talking about, who actually seems like they're an empathetic, understanding person. But like, at the same time, it's like, this can't be, there needs to be a scenario in which what are the skills that I need to develop uh, in order to get there? And it can't just be experience. experience. Mm-hmm. It can't be that because then you lose, you automatically lose talent. And I, um, I recently came across two two very different scenarios that I love your your take on. A friend of mine is on the the board for a company, and we were chatting. They were looking to hire a senior leader. And my friend was like, we've got these two candidates and one person has a lot more years of experience. This candidate has a ton of experience, but you know what? 
if I look at their career over time, it's pretty, it's been pretty steady, pretty much always done the same thing. Yep, they have tons of experience. Then I've got this other candidate and I look at their career path and it is just on this upward trajectory. And if you overlay the two lines, they're gonna definitely go past this other person. But you know, they haven't been there, they haven't done that. But I look at these two candidates and I have to go with the one where I just see the future and I see their trajectory and I have to bet on this person. And then I was chatting with a a different founder that I'm friends with whose perspective was completely, completely different. And it was, I've got the best possible candidate. This person is amazing. They have all all of the things we could possibly want about them. Everyone loves them. It's like, then hire this person. They sound fantastic. Well, you know. I'll leave ha- their phone number after the show. But yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. They, they haven't been a public company leader yet. They just, they haven't done this. And because they haven't done this this thing before, this this one accomplishment, you know, we just, we can't do IPO it. IPO to company. They have an IPO to company. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, you do realize the IPO a company person, you're running a startup over here. That person's not going to be able to dig in and do the grunt work and just couldn't get over it. And I had both of these conversations in the last month. And they're both really good, talented people, but the perspective was so different of, nope, we have to go with experience. And the other one was, experience looks great, but I doubt their trajectory. Sure. And is the question, which way do I go? Or more just an observation? Observation, which way do you go? Do you see this happening a lot with founders? How do do marketers manage the situation? Yeah, back to... Back to the my original question is really what do you hear? Like what are the things that you hear executives say about marketers um, <laughs> behind our backs? A much better question. That, <laughs> because no, I, I think this really informs of like, you know, it's really tough to be something when you don't know what it is that you're supposed to be. And I think that that's a lot of things that that marketers struggle with is like you're trying to be, you know, all things to all people. And like to your point, stage of the company, are they a first time or you know, multi-time founder? Like mm-hmm. all these things are hugely important. Is that person a CEO that was a founder of the company or not? Like all of those play a huge role into all of this. Yeah. And you could just say like a variety of different things sure. that you hear from the field of like, this is what we're looking for. Like we are looking for a marketer that hangs out with salespeople all day, every day, or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. I, I don't know. So there's a, a tactical response and one that probably gets right to kind of the crux, I think, of what you're asking. And then there's probably like a bigger philosophical response. And, I, you know, both are probably interesting to explore. Do I'm going to go, which route would you go like tactical to go first? first. Yeah. It's so look, on the tactical side, what I would share is, and, you know, marketing listeners, brace yourselves. You do an amazing job in your varying functions of marketing technology companies. You do a poor job marketing yourselves in terms of spending time and investing in your own story, really tapping into what I call authenticity, which is not about showing up and and being kind and caring and considerate. Those are certainly important aspects of just relationship building, but a clearer sense for what you know and why you know it and what that experience means and how that informs the discussion. You have agency in the hiring process and you have the opportunity to do due diligence and not to say that there is one person whose due diligence framework 
doesn't have flaws or that you asked every single question as a part of evaluating. But I have to believe just based on the coaching work, my own personal coaching and evolution as a leader and a partner in a firm, but also coaching executives through promotion and and through performance initiatives is to say that if you are playing from an authentic self, then you will do a better job of recognizing the the problem set to which this organization is hiring for and you'll be able to tell with greater accuracy or a more acute ear that you know what yes that is actually something that i can jump in and be masterful at owning and driving or no i'm not and maybe i'll make it one level you know just more tactical which is to say earlier in the discussion Marketing leaders, I would empower you, I would encourage you to drive the discussion with these founder CEOs and to give them the benefit of the doubt that as they're climbing their own growth and development curve and have little time to do that, that you would come forward with your own version of a job description and take just the initiative to say, you know what, if I'm going to possibly get into this hiring process and what they wrote on the website, you know, was okay and now i'm coming to this discussion to understand what they really mean how many of us and it's radio so unfortunately i won't be able to see everybody's hands go up (laughs) but how many of us read a job description got hired and then we did how much of that job description and so job descriptions are written at a very acute moment at a very specific you know point in time and they're going to capture a problem set But again, that's kind of that binary distinction of like, you're only going to come on to do these 15 bullets and these 17 bullets in our selection criteria. Yeah, nowhere in that list is you're going to be a presenter at the sales kickoff to Mm -hmm. describe blank. None of those bullets are going to say, hey, you're going to do a ride along every single week with an AE. You're going to like all of those things that go the extra mile. And I would add to this too. And this is, I guess, why I have some heartburn with some of the issues around this like 22 month thing if you're a cmo that is going into a founder who has spent the last you know whatever five years seven years three years of their life saying like i want to make this change into the world i believe that this thing is going to be if you're aligned with like their vision which is like you you look at what corinne was talking about Mm -hmm. where she was aligned with blue wolf's vision from the very beginning it feels like you should be able to stay the course if you're aligned with that vision and you can grow and improve yourself then you know, you want to have that same thing happen. And I would be curious to see, you know, Mateo, you're the go-to guy for for all these people that are looking to talk about these things. How many conversations you have that are around what type of company mission do you want to be a part of? What type of company who's changed, like, do you want to be a part of? Because I think that that's like a missing element of like, is this really going to be the thing that you wake up every day and get psyched up to go to work? Look, I think more and more the market and just humanity is calling for more purpose. Um, Totally. And so I think we're recognizing that if we're going to spend so much of our waking lives away from loved ones, that we should enjoy the people around us. Um, And that I think is refreshing, at least to talk to more leaders and even founder CEOs in terms of their founding story or the genesis idea behind their company. I think there are far more people who are acutely aware of creating actual value versus thinking about entrepreneurship as lottery ticket or for fortune and fame. Um, Totally. That's a really good point. I'm absolutely optimistic on that piece. But I do think that there's a responsibility that is shared that is 
And again, it goes back to, and I know this sounds like almost kindergarten first principles, let your yes mean yes, your no mean no, (laughs) but through a greater awareness around what you're passionate about, what you enjoy, I could walk in, sit down with you, and you could say, hey, Mateo, I'm looking for uh, a co-host and a radio DJ, and I see based on your resume that, you know, you worked at a radio station for, you know, five, ten years, and, you know, you were in ARPR and would you be interested to sit down next to me and mic up and yeah and we can go through interviews and you can meet people now you know I don't know that my experience by the way other than I worked in a radio station and did ARPR would lend itself to that I mean I could probably step in and fulfill that but if I have a deeper sense of what I want to do and clarity around where my value is and I come forward and have a better conversation or a more informed conversation around that, meaning, hey, listen, I responded to an ad or or I responded to a recruiter. He told me you were looking for a marketing leader and I went to your website. There was, you know, sometimes there's a job description, sometimes there's not. But based on what they had described and what I'm hearing and not that I want to hijack the discussion, I went ahead and wrote down a few things that I think might be relevant in terms of the abilities that I have, I possess, and I almost wrote kind of my ideal job description or where I believe I could add value. And then engage in an iterative discussion that has something that is a collaborative design. I think people would get better at teasing out like, what do you need? Which is really a radio DJ and a co-host. And what do I actually do? Or what do I actually need? And what do I want to do? And that's not sit next to and be co-host. That's to work in a creative agency and be a part of a creative organization, but in a different context. Yeah. And then we could quickly suss out and say, hey, no hard feelings. In a 30 to 45 minute hour long discussion, you're a great guy. And oh, it turns out you've got a role in your organization for me. Fantastic. But it's not the co-host. I think too often because we do have social tools, which are immensely powerful, mm-hmm. But you can gamify that, right, to your own aims. You can do keyword searches. You can put keywords in your background. How many times do you land on a marketing leader's resume or marketing leaders around the valley? How many times have you had a resume put on your desk from a recruiter that says, this person specializes in demand, brand, creative, ARPR, (laughs) corp comms, has scaled organizations from zero to a billion, and their legend is renowned. And you're like, one human being can't do all of that. No kidding. That doesn't exist. But I would love that the description is, and their legend is renowned. Yeah. Yeah, your legend is renowned. I think that might be my new tagline on my LinkedIn profile. I'm going to do the 17 stars in a row. There's going to be so many stars on my LinkedIn profile that you'll never actually see the the, (laughs) The actual description. What my description is, it's just going to be all stars. And I I think that was really good to start having the, the marketers that are coming in and doing a little more, a little more work and thought process up front and what do you think separates the sort of marketing leaders who get hired and are extremely successful and the marketing leaders who get hired and are less successful in the the role? What can marketers who are looking for their next role, what should they be doing, looking for, asking? I think that our egos as just a collective community have gotten the better of us. And I think that we all too quickly feel put out about having to describe 
what we do or or what we're doing day to day or week to week or quarter to quarter. And I know much has been talked about as various organizations have adopted OKRs and all mm -hmm. manner of like KPI assessment and evaluation metrics. Totally. But this is less even a hard and fast, you know, daily one-on-one -on -one around, hey, here's the KPI and how are you hitting it today? But is really more around how do you get comfortable evangelizing your role and having one-to-one -one conversations with your founder CEO, with your CEO. So let's just not talk founders for a moment, but just with your leadership team. And how is that information getting shared? How do the peers around the leadership table interact and get involved or engage cross-functionally because unless you're a marketing leader in isolation or in a cave, you're probably going to need some shared sponsorship, support, shared KPI with sales at a minimum, if not product or some other areas of the organization. So what I prescribe or what I would offer would be a very basic conversation or even just declaration daily or weekly, monthly to say, Lauren, you hired me to be a VP of demand. And when I came into the role, we were very clear that my KPIs were X or Y. And I want to make sure walking in that we have a one-on-one -on -one every 30 days. Maybe it's every, you know, twice every 30 days through my first six months. Keep evangelizing, keep emailing, keep sending, hey, your view of what your role is. Where should you focus? Share that, talk to people, engage with people, put it on a bumper sticker, wear it on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. And leaders should do the same and they shouldn't be fearful of it. They shouldn't second guess it, recognizing that it's all subject to change. But wouldn't it be great if just in life we could wear like a name tag around our necks that like had all these different like criterion about what we're actually focused on, unbiased, completely raw, completely vulnerable. And then I know what to support. One of the most powerful meetings we have in our organization three times a week, and that's probably a little overkill, truth be told, is we do a state declaration. What are you feeling on a scale of zero to 10? 10 being I'm going to crush it this week. Zero means I'm anemic and I'm probably going to leave this team meeting and give you my <laughs> letter of resignation. And initially, when people join the organization, it's like pulling teeth. It's like, Lauren, how are you feeling today? Um, I'm a... I'm a I'm a nine. Yeah. And we're going to win and it's awesome. And you're like, okay, that's great. Or, you know, there are some that would be like, I'm good. I'm also a nine. I'm good. <laughs> well, one, I can't do anything as your manager, as a leader in this organization with good or I'm fine, or I appreciate the conviction of I'm a nine and we're going to go crush it. But that doesn't help me support you. That doesn't help the team support you. And so the nice thing that happens usually, you know, four to six weeks in is when the first real test in a project or in a initiative comes up. And then we go into that same state meeting and they're like, actually, I'm a six. I'm feeling like I'm out over my skis. I don't know like what I don't know here, here, and here. And usually it's a bit reactionary mm -hmm. or reactive and it's a little defensive. Mm -hmm. And then I pull them aside after that meeting and I said, hey, awesome job. Way to be vulnerable in front of your peers. Way to declare it because there was five other people that were feeling scared or feeling behind or feeling like they don't know. And by you giving them permission to declare that they don't know, we can go support each other. And so how do you remove the the reactive? How do you remove the venom? And so for marketing leaders, I guess the, the challenge is, is that 
you know, and there are some that believe, I'm not saying that's me, but there are some that would believe the only two things you need in an organization are uh, product innovators, engineers to build the product and people to go sell it. And then everything else is just accessory. And so where does that leave marketing? I mean, marketing, again, as it's become so specialized across the category or the function, so many different value components there. And so you've got to evangelize. you got to trust that we're so egocentric on this. And so bringing it full circle that everybody just inherently knows what Mateo's priorities are or what Lauren's priorities are. How selfish of me is that? How limiting uh, you know, of me is that? How do I make sure that I go to my leadership roundtables or to one-on-ones with my CEO or just do a flyby of their desks to say, hey, I haven't seen you in two weeks. You've been on a roadshow. You had Dreamforce. You had Saster. You've just been making the circuit. I just wanted to check back in with you fast. Here are my five KPIs. Here are where we're at against that. Does that still look good? And just make it more organic so that there's a, a more real discussion happening about what is good to look like or am I on track for it? Too many people go to that fear state Lauren was talking about, which is if I raise my hand, if I say I don't know, if I say I'm you know worried about something, then I'm going to be replaced. I'm going to be pushed out. Everybody else seems like they get it. Am I the only one lost? And then before you know it, you know, two things happen. You, we've talked a lot about that 22 cycle uh, rotation. You don't decide because the integrity in leadership and the integrity in the valley at scale, I just say I work with far more integrity forward people. So nobody would ever just chunk the deuce and say, hey, I'm out of here. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, totally. they may, but there's going to be a re- really acute reason. But the reality of that actually is, is that nine to 10 months into their tenure, there is a choice in their mind where they're like, you know what? I'm not feeling like I'm gelling, like I'm meshing. And I can either use this opportunity to declare that and to go have a very thoughtful discussion with one or multiple stakeholders. And we can get clear on my marketing function or how this company thinks about marketing and make sure that we're all aligned and I can recommit into the organization or I can take Mateo's call. Yeah. And I can start <laughs> totally. committing out of the organization yep. and then begins the long, slow bleed of at nine to 10 months, I'm going to transition out and you suddenly are on that interview cycle again. And then by 19 to 22 months, all that really means is that you were in a six to f- seven month hiring process totally. that finally came to fruition. And then you politely resign and go to the next role. So it's, what's really interesting about that idea of, of the product and sales things. I, I'd actually say I probably am pretty firmly in that camp. And I think the reason why I feel that way is because of uh, my time in the military where you know what the main effort is. It's like, you know, infantry is the main effort or whatever, whatever that thing is and everything supports that. I think it gives an organization a level of clarity. And I don't think that it cheapens any of the other things. I think the best team understands that like support and service are critical to the other elements being able to function in in the way that they have. And like, you know, my time in the military was doing a a task that was, you know, this blend of uh, operations, human resources, casualty stuff, a bunch of different things that traditionally nobody would ever think the army does, uh, or definitely not that you'd be really excited about, but you realize that that level is, is super important. And the reason why I say that is, is the product and sales thing is like, I think that marketers are very evenly split right now in actuality of product and sales, but in organizationally, it's nowhere close. And I think that there's this interesting thing of why it's so hard, why a lot of these problems come up with with CMOs 
is that you have this kind of like growth side of things, which is now becoming the norm, which Mm -hmm. is basically building marketing into product. And then you have this like, you know, especially with like B2B, you have this like, you know, lead gen component and a lot of the demand gen and the stuff that we were talking about. And I think that it's just a really interesting place for someone who wants to be a CMO. You have to have like, you really need to be a five tool athlete. I think that this is the first time, I mean, you know, this is just from our research for marketing trends. I think that this is the first time ever now in the, in the current day and age where you really, if you want to be in one of these companies, you have to have like a crystal clear understanding of digital and you need to be able to blend the art and science. You don't necessarily need to be able to run SEO campaigns. You don't need to be able to do growth hacking stuff, whatever. You don't need to be able to like write copy, but you definitely need to know how to tap the individuals for those teams. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why I push back on some of the CMO stuff. And maybe this is just for later stage, uh, you know, IPO, post IPO companies that ultimately what you were talking about, the startup stuff where you, you got to get to the next round. Otherwise you won't have a company anymore. Sure. So, but for these post IPO companies, these, these companies that are looking for CMOs, you know, we had a really interesting conversation with um, Alvina Antar, who's the CIO of Zor. Zora, mm-hmm. uh, who was saying she was like, one of the smartest things that <laughs> Zora did was they brought me on as CIO early on because of so much infrastructure was built from an IT perspective really early on that allowed them to grow like a big company, even though they were small. And I always think about that with these startups of like, if you hire the visionary CMO mm-hmm. and that that can p- surround themselves with tacticians then you can be successful. But I think that it's this tough scenario where you bring in a VP of demand gen and then you look at this and you're like, man, this person can't be CMO for blank reason. And it's like, then then we got to figure out something else to do. So, I, I mean, my question there is for CMOs of today, for the folks that you're talking to that are the most talented, for the folks that you are placing into the high growth companies, the the premier companies, the ones that have really strong leadership teams. What are the what are the things that you're seeing from those perspectives that are really hard to find, and that those people who are like truly the kind of like diamonds in the rough sort of thing? So, I believe, and this is common knowledge, I would guess with the majority of your listenership, more and more you know, CMOs in early or later companies, I feel like come from, you know, two camps, demand or from product. And that isn't to say there are exceptions to be sure, but even those exceptions I would imagine began in a more creative side of marketing. And then we're very intentional about getting exposure to other areas and maybe a little right place at the right time. What I actually believe that I see is really about creating opportunities of value. So it's not so much about being inside of an organization with a great logo, but what were you responsible for in your time in that organization? And so when I was talking about, you know, marketers getting better at telling their story, the focus of this podcast is marketing, but I could have been saying the same thing to a customer success audience or to a sales audience. And, you know, I think the reality of sales, you know, lends itself to binary a little better. You either hit the number or you didn't. And if you show a track record of that, that's attractive. And if you didn't, less so. 
But on the marketing side, there are a myriad examples, and I'm talking about situational-based practical examples that a marketing leader could talk about through an interview process that doesn't come out in the discussion. It too quickly goes to, I believe my demand muscle is this, and let me rattle off my demand metrics for you. Totally. My product muscle is this, and let me rattle off my product metrics. But the metrics are one thing. What I actually want to understand and help leadership teams understand, help a board understand, is the texture of that experience. When you joined that organization, did they have the infrastructure to do demand? Or did you stand up that technology stack? When you hired leaders or when you hired your team and built that team, is that a team that is now battle fit for size and stage? Are they not only battle fit in delivering for size and stage, but they also, you know, based on the metrics that you're tracking, look like they have a 12 to 24 month, you know, runway, assuming you're continued to develop them. So the leaders, whether this is VP of marketing or CMO that I think have a easier time is that they do have four to five year experiences inside of organizations. They've been promoted once or twice. Once you become a VP, right, you know, I'm, I'm taking that out of the discussion for a second because then you're usually not going to take a step back. That would be a signal of something in its own right. But, you know, you will maintain either that level or move up into, you know, the C-suite and take a chief of title. But in that sense, there's tenure with an organization. And so, you know, as I educate my team and develop my team in terms of developing some of these muscles, it is about what existed, what conditions, excuse me, existed in an organization at the time that the leader was there. And also, I would just say, as you're talking about your experience, where do you take ownership of to say, yes, that was me who brought that idea, and then we executed it as a team? But how do you talk about the delivery of these different aspects of building a marketing organization? Or if it's an organization of scale, maybe it's less the build component and more about you know, how do we dissect our current segment and focus in on one customer set versus another or do more specialized tactical marketing just based on scale and evolution of the product? Well, I mean, I think that there's this interesting situation where you have like the playbook people versus mm -hmm. like the campaign people. And this is overly reductive, but like you have some of these like growth hackers and folks like that, that have like what I would call like very unsustainable practices, like un unsustainable tactics, like, hey, LinkedIn is allowing you to do this or like, hey, you know, whatever. But I think that there's a real creativity of thought to develop some of those tactics. Mm -hmm. And when you, you, you know, like when you, when you see that sort of thing, you're like, okay, well, if you did this once, you know, maybe you got lucky, but if you, if you have a track record of like, hey, you kind of always figure out ways that you can, you know, do these sort of things, that becomes kind of that trend. I think one of the things that I find interesting, and I'd be curious as you're talking to marketers, like how much they play up just their playbook versus like, here's a list of the type of the broad spectrum of campaigns that I have created and designed and that have driven ROI versus this is just the framework of which I put into place. It could be the quality of question and not to say I'm always looking for ways to ask better questions or to you know be better at, at what we do, how I do it. Um, 
maybe it's because of the focus of our firm and trying to be more thoughtful about the discussion we're trying to curate or, or what we're trying to pull out. I do find that we spend more time, you know, getting into the the not granular, but just the texture of somebody's experience. So the yeah. campaigns, the the war stories, the battle scars. You know, we talk about scar tissue. We talk about pattern matching recognition. Yep. I mean, one thing inherent in investment and in building companies, it's an equation of risk mitigation on some level. And so the challenge isn't that, you know, boards or leadership teams want to root against the underdog or want to root against the up and comer, but you do have to take a bold risk because that ends up feeling like more of a bet than somebody who's got the pattern matching capability from another problem set that's got the scar tissue from a different challenge. I do hear often, it's not uncommon to inherit a project from uh, another recruiting firm that, you know, had a you know hard time or a difficult time closing a, an opportunity. And I do believe that there are other organizations out there that can be more prescriptive in how they think about this. But at the same time, you know, I don't I don't blame. I think again, it's so much of it is company specific, problem specific. And so it's it's what I guess one question to take away from this would be what is the timeline that the organization believes in terms of how far in the future do you actually want to live? Yeah, that's um, a good question. And then start to build backwards from there. And I think then you can quickly sniff out or get a sense for the problems are too acute right now on this very specific topic. And we we can only live 30 days into the future or 45 days. And that's not to say I'm not talking about funding here or burn. I'm just talking about we've got to solve this problem so fast that that's all we can really think about. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting way of looking at it of of the timeline of the person. How how are you matching uh, the timeline? We we've talked about it in the uh, in the podcast in the in the past of the best salespeople and the best marketers match the conversational tone of the person that they're emailing with, talking to, communicating with, whether it's chatbots or whether it's email or what, you know, whatever it is, like if you, you know, speak the same way that they speak, you can see really good results. But I think that that's interesting is like, what are your timelines? Like if we are on a timeline thing, I mean, one of the interesting things when we interviewed Marissa Meyer about her time at Yahoo was this idea of like, you know, I think she left there after like four years, three and a half years, whatever it was. It's just nowhere, nowhere near long enough to build the type of mobile experience across all of Yahoo's properties that she wanted. Like they went from zero mobile to, you know, building, I think like five or six apps. And it's like the timeline of success for this it was a decade. So it's like, you just can't measure success. So if you're a marketing leader that wants to go into an organization that's saying like, hey, you know, you guys, you this company is getting ready for IPO or whatever it is. I want to look at this in a 10 year timeline and they're working on a, well, we need to, we need to start looking at blank. We need to win the next 30 days, every 30 days for the next two years. Like you're definitely not the right fit. Sure. I mean, it does go back to, you know, an ability to have a more direct and, and thoughtful conversation. And thoughtful, I think sometimes people think like it almost has a pejorative connotation or, you know, I at least from my side, I think when I say, hey, let's have a thoughtful conversation, 
people feel like we're going to have tea or you're going to give me a hug or doesn't necessarily have to convey any more emotion other than to say, let's have a discussion in which you feel comfortable to tell me exactly what you believe your unique capabilities are as a marketer. And then I can tell you the problems and the challenges. And I can also tell you kind of my timeline in terms of how far into the future I believe we can live as an organization. And then you can start to tell me, you know what, I think that there's some synergy here in terms of how I could go solve that. And let me tell you a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the beauty of the of uh, of the Mateos of the world is like, I think that a lot of us just need the ability to be forced to take the time to have those conversations because otherwise you just don't have them. Like nobody feels like they have the time to do anything anymore or maybe ever in history. We never probably felt like we had the time, but you need someone to be like, this is actually what you need to be doing. And I think that that's the value. Like, I, I think there's also some inherent value of the coaching side of this, which is when you change roles, you know, it's like going to business school or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Like you get to reinvent yourself every single time, right? Whoever it was uh, who said you can't be a hero in your hometown, right? You get to go reinvent yourself every time. And I think that that's one of the exciting things for CMOs as this like, new thing, you know, back to, back to my military experience. One of the, one of the things that the job that I had in the military was like historically, like not a very popular job. People like, why would you want the like least, like the least popular person, right? Like, why would you want that job? And I was like, well, everybody sucks at it. So if you're just act, if you're just adequate, right. It's like, you're going to be, everybody's going to love you. Right. Yeah. But I think that that that's, that's a very real thing for a lot of marketing leaders. It's like, you know, the previous, you know, first three people got canned for X, Y, or Z. And it's like, you get to come in and reimagine what this role looks like. You get to, like you said, you said, hey, this is uh, this is what it said on your website. This is the qualifications. And this is what you want out of this. Like, here's actually how I would frame what I think you all need sure. uh, and what I would bring to the table. Sure. I, look, I don't think energy and enthusiasm, and as I say this, you know, maybe I'll... Um as I say this, I don't know that I actually believe it, but I just was going to say, you know, energy and enthusiasm and and optimism probably don't make great media. (laughs) Um, And I will struggle to get invited onto future, you know, shows or even invited back here if that is the case. But I just, what I would tell you, there's an X factor here for every marketer. And I think some themes I talked about were, you know, being more thoughtful about, you know, what you want to do, um, being more balanced in terms of how fast it needs to happen for you. I think that, you know, because we don't have organizations like a PNG or a GE in terms of my example of companies that provide rotational opportunities to try on a couple of different versions of marketing or just get exposure to different aspects of marketing and and brand curation and develop those muscles before specializing. I think that on a long enough timeline, I hope that all of the people listening are going to live long, prosperous lives. I don't think it has to happen for you all at once. Totally And I think that there are leaders out there that I've talked to. I had breakfast with a sales executive a couple of weeks ago, and he had been offered as a part of some leadership changes inside of a Series B company, the broader CRO role. So VP sales would then take on customer success and some aspects of marketing. And I almost spilt a scalding hot cup of Pete's coffee into my lap when he said, I told my leadership that I didn't want the job because that betrays a hundred percent or 95% of the calls that I take, which is 
I'm ready to go take that next step and I'm ready to have that, you know, next leap and exposure and responsibility and get me in front of the board. And I want my percentage to be X, Y, Z, and I'm going to go play for the big money. And it's not as thoughtless as that. So I just, you know, I uh, don't want to be careless about anybody's aspirations or motivations or self-belief, but this leader said, you know what? I'm not ready. I haven't done what I needed to do as a VP of sales and I don't know that this is the right organization, by the way, knowing what I know about success or what I know about marketing to take that next step. Yeah. And so I need to do mission. I mean, speaking of military background and thank you for your service, by oh, the way. Yeah. But the nice thing about that is that people care about complete work in the military. They care about completing that mission first. So do the mission you were hired to do and do it well. And then when that competency is mastered or you feel grounded in that, then take the next step. And I think there are all manner of like battlefield promotion, you know, people who just say, hey, I'm ready to go do it. Like, I don't want to listen to somebody else. So I'm going to go create it for themselves. Like to what end? Give yourself some grace. That's way too much pressure. And they're on a long enough timeline, hopefully, if you are more deliberate about different opportunities and not just a race to the C-suite, you'll have a longer, more prosperous career and a better quality of life in pursuit of that. Because I'll tell you the alternative is, I don't sit down with nearly enough leaders that are just palpably excited about what they get to do. Totally. I mean, I tell some of my guys and gals who are local to California or local to the Bay Area, You've already won the lottery twice by being born in the United States and by being born in a valley that has created an industry and that has no signs of slowing down or maybe slowing down, but certainly won't, you know, change anytime soon in terms of opportunities to create prosperity. And so in that sense, these are all first world problems. And so come at it with more excitement and enthusiasm. And if you mess up, my four-year-old daughter's learning to ride her bike. If she falls down, the beauty of it is there's a few tears and you take a thumb and you wipe them away and she gets back on. Maybe she doesn't get back on right away, but she'll get on in another day or two or the following weekend. And she's got a short memory. I think that if leaders, marketing leaders in particular, focused on evangelizing their roles, communicating their understanding of that, creating shared buy-in around why that's relevant so that the organization feels empowered and aligned. If uh, leadership teams were more supportive of each other and had a clearer view of what everybody was working on and how that was connected and integrated. And then if everybody was more enthusiastic about their ability to go build a company and to play any role in pursuit of that, it would be, uh, I don't know, it would change the psychology, I think, of how everybody goes about that. Totally agree. I'll leave it at that. I mean, that was great. Thanks so much for hanging out. And yeah, this was awesome. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Uh, love the show. It was a real treat, truly. I had been watching and I appreciate it. I was joking before the show just at the voracious amount of content coming out from this team. I, I almost dug myself a trap. I was going to say I'd thought about unsubscribing because it was just so much. Never but, uh, unsubscribe. <laughs> yeah. Never unsub. No, 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 not at all. But uh, this was a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes, and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. 
Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster, and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.